Amen. When someone asks you why it matters where you go to church, I want you to take a picture of that and show that to them. Amen. Amen. I, uh, if you have your Bibles, and you would go to 2 Samuel chapter 24. It's always very special because I have kids up there. I talk to a lot of families all the time when their kids are the only ones. Or they don't have anybody other than their own cousin. Nothing wrong with your own cousins. I love mine. But that is just a real blessing. But I have a card today that I was asked to read, but they didn't want me to read it until they had gone. But as you know, the Morbers have went to start a church in Harrisburg and wanted me to read this card to you today, and so I'll try to get through it. And if I don't, you can read it on the bulletin board when I get done. I don't know where to begin to thank our 10-mile family. We came to you broken, alone, and disheartened. You didn't know us from Adam, but you welcomed us with open arms and loved on us. A few months after going to 10 Mile, the biggest trial in my life hit me, and it was tough. But once again, you loved on my family and helped us through it with your prayers. I can't even begin to tell you what that meant to my family and I. As much as it pains me to say this, but Jake is right. Reaching out with love and kindness to people has a huge impact on their lives. This church has shown me how important a church family is. I understand now why God gave us believers the church. Life is difficult and unpredictable, and we need each other. I've learned so much in the two years that I have been here. You've given us so many opportunities to grow in our spiritual walk. There are so many people where I live that the need for what I received here, and I feel the need to help bring that to them. Don't take for granted what you have here. This church has been blessed because of faithful preaching of God's word and living it out. Once again, I want to thank you for welcoming my family into your family. Please pray for us as we start this new chapter, and we will continue to pray for you all. And that is from Jessica, Jeremy, Lydia, Lucas, and Liza Morber. And so, it is always good to be among God's people. Today, as we come to 2 Samuel chapter 24, this is it. And so, it might be a little long because I'm trying to get it done today, because some of you have not enjoyed 2 Samuel. Uh, I have not always enjoyed 2 Samuel. But today I want to ask you, how is your heart? How is your heart? You know in the physical body that if you stub your toe, you're probably going to make it. If you fall and break an arm, you're probably going to make it. But if something is wrong with a ticker, it can go bad in a hurry. That is why there is a medical condition that you can have, and it is called the widow maker. When the heart goes bad, everything else follows. The same is the case in our spiritual walk with the Lord. When our heart begins to get overwhelmed with hidden sin, when our heart begins to get prideful that we've accomplished so much, we find ourselves in a dangerous place. In chapter 24, we find the end of King David's uh, last big act as king. 
We won't look at his death. We'll be looking at that at a different time because next Sunday after we finish this book will be a special Easter service. But David has finally defeated his enemies. He's finally back on the throne. His family is experiencing a season of peace. If you and I were to think about the pinnacle of one's life, this is it for King David. He's finally arrived. Today maybe you're thinking that. I finally am getting ready to retire. I finally got the promotion that I want. I finally got our family somewhat on the straight and narrow. You know what? I finally invested enough that I've got what I was looking for. And friends, in those moments is where David found himself. But something was wrong. David had allowed pride to enter his heart. The nation of Israel had allowed pride to enter their hearts. No one saw it from the outside. Everything looked perfect, but deep within, there was a problem. And today, my great challenge to you is, is to let God deal with your heart. I cannot convict you. The sermon, its words cannot convict you. But the Spirit of God and the Scripture can search your heart if you'll let Him. I want to read from you three verses from the book of Luke, and we'll jump right in today. If you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word. In Luke chapter 8, holy moly. This is the second microphone I've broke today. In Luke chapter 8, that's what happens when you get heavy and you sit on them. They just don't last very long. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 16. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. If you would pray with me. Father, today you know that there is nothing good in me other than you. Lord, I can accomplish nothing. I have nothing to offer. And so, Lord, I am praying that you would work, that you would speak, that you would move. Today, Lord, I pray that you would change this congregation, that you would deal with the lost, and, Lord, that you would work for your glory. Lord, I just ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You've probably heard it said that whatever is in a glass... Uh, that is full, when it gets knocked around, that is what comes out. If you like Diet Mountain Dew and you have a full glass and you spill that glass of Diet Mountain Dew, what comes out will be Diet Mountain Dew. If you, are like, if you like me and like coffee and you spill your coffee after you get over the initial pain of being burnt, uh, you will realize that coffee came out. And what this text teaches us is what is in your heart is what comes out when God allows difficulties to come into your life. When challenges come, when heartaches happen, when betrayals come our way, what comes out of our mouth is a reflection of what is in our heart. Now before you get very discouraged, because if you're like me, thinking of the things that could come out of your heart, know that David was a man after God's own heart. David was a saved man, but yet had allowed his heart to be infected with some sin. And so today you might be saying, well, Jake, I'm I'm too spiritual to have a heart problem. 
Or, or I'm, I'm too mature in my faith to have a heart problem. You're not. You say, well, Jake, I'm too blessed to have a heart problem. You are not. David had everything where it should have been, and in that moment, Satan began to work. And God allowed Satan to work because God knows something about each and every one of us. Sin in our lives rots us from the inside out. Sin in my heart that no one else knows has terrible effects on my life. And so if you would today, we're going to just go right through this text and hopefully it will be a help to you. God allows situations to come into our life to reveal what is in our heart. God allows situations to come into our life to reveal what is in our own heart. Look at verse 24, chapter 24, verse 1. Again, the anger of the Lord was around against Israel. You see, God knew what was in their heart. God knew that there was wickedness below the surface. And God says, I'm going to rattle the cage. I'm going to allow the boat to be rocked for them to see what the problem is. And he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. And may the eyes of the Lord the king see it. But why does the Lord the king desire this thing? Joab, not a great spiritual man as you follow this book, says, I'm not sure if we should be doing this. We're in a time of peace. We're in a time of prosperity. Why do we need to boast in our military might? Joab recognized something that the people and David were beginning to trust more in the army than the provider of the army. They were beginning to trust more in the blessings of God than in the blesser. But the king wins out. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan and camped in Aror on the side, right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and toward Jazir. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tatim, Hodshai. They came to Dan, John, and around to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Then they went out to south Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone throughout all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king, and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. So what they do is they go out and count all the soldiers, 1.3 million strong, and report this back to David. If you want to read this very same account, but with more details and some other explanations, you can find it in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, listen to how it is described in verse 1. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So you said God was involved, Satan was involved, and David made this choice. 
Yes, God knew what was in David's heart and that David was not willing to deal with it. And so David, God gives permission for Satan to begin to tempt David. The Bible says that God does not tempt you and I. But he does allow Satan the freedom to work. Think about the situation with Job. And in Job's case, it revealed his righteous character, his love for God. And when God allows things to go on in your life, whether it is a health crisis, whether it is a marriage problem, whether it's betrayal from a friend, whether it's job loss, whatever goes on in your life that begins to rattle you, begins to question you, begins to rock the foundation of your life, God has allowed that for one of two reasons. One, you have sin in your life, and God wants you to pay attention. God wants you to get alone with Him because danger is on the horizon. Or two, God is trying to reveal that your faith is real. That there's someone in your life, someone watching you, someone goes to church with you that is struggling with the same battle and needs to see that there is someone who God can use that's the real deal. You say, well, Jake, that's not fair. I just want to be left alone. I just want to mind my own business. You were saved for a purpose. God has a plan for your life. There are hurting and broken people that need the Christian example that God's people can set. Think about it like this in Psalms 44, verse 20 and 21. It says, If we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? For He knows the secrets of the heart. Today you might have everyone that you sit with at church convinced that there is nothing wrong. You might have the people you work with convinced that there's nothing wrong. You might have the people you live with convinced that there is nothing wrong. But deep down, your heart is full of unforgiveness. Your heart is full of bitterness. Your heart is full of hurt that you've been covering up or hiding. And what's going to happen is this. God loves you too much to leave you in the state that you are in. God will begin to allow things to happen in your life that might seem bad, that might seem difficult, that might seem hard, but because God loves you and God cares about you, God knows what the damage that that sin will do in your life. You say, Jake, but my sin's a little one. It's just a little bit of lust. It's just a little bit of pride. It's just a little bit of unforgiveness. It's just a little bit. I just, it's just a little bit hidden down. And what David shows us here is that a little bit doesn't just stay a little bit. It grows. We just finished in chapter 23, if you remember, David's praise for who God is. And we looked in chapter 22 and, and all that we've seen about God's great goodness and power and majesty. But we just finished up looking at the mighty men of David. How God had used certain men to do these great works for God's glory. But David had went from celebrating God's goodness to becoming prideful about God's goodness. They celebrated all that God had done in their life, but they began to think highly of themselves. And friends, that's the great danger we have. It's the danger we have as a church. It's the danger we have as believers, is that we begin to think we have arrived. Right? Look at all of those kids. Uh, I don't know how many there was, but it was a, a wonderful number. 
And think about it, that's a whole lot of, of girls, and so some days they'll be able to, to marry and bring godly husbands here, hopefully, right? That's usually how that goes. And so we're blessed. But friends, don't you think for one second that it has to stay that way? God is the giver of the blessings. God is the one who has brought you here. God is the one who is working in your life. It's not your wisdom, your knowledge, your understanding. It's the goodness and mercy of God. And when we forget that, we begin to be like David. God begins to rattle the cage. God begins to allow the storms to come. And this is why. In verses 10 through 17, we see the answer. God must reveal what is in our hearts so that we can get right with Him. God must reveal what is in our hearts so that we can get right with Him. This would not be necessary if we were honest. But let's be honest, we're not. We'll lie to ourselves. I I don't have an unforgiveness problem. I'm just not going to speak to them. I don't have a pride problem. I'm just not going to pray about it. I don't have a lust problem. Everybody has a thought. And the list goes on and on. And so unless God allows these things to come into our life, most of us are content to carry our baggage with us. Most of us don't want a cure to our problem until we see an outward sign. But yet spiritual rot begins to happen. Spiritual coldness begins to happen. You know why you're not passionate about the things of God like you used to be? There's something in your life that shouldn't be there. You know why you don't enjoy worshiping God or reading the Word or spending time with God's people? There's something going on beneath the surface. And so what goes on here in verses 10 through 17 is this revealing so that it can be made right. In verse 10 it says, And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. David asked for forgiveness. And what you need to see is that God forgives. God forgives us when we ask for forgiveness. But what we see is the earthly consequences of sin don't always go away. Think about the fact that there's death in the world. The Bible tells us that through the sin of one man, death entered the world. You want to know why there are earthquakes and tornadoes? The Bible says that even creation groans under the consequences of sin. You can be forgiven, you can be saved, you can be a child of God, you can be on your way to heaven, but yet the consequences of sin still linger. You can ask for forgiveness for telling someone a lie, but they might not ever trust you again. You can apologize for infidelity and forgiveness and reconciliation can happen, but that person might always remember. So we must be reminded of that. And so what happens here is David asks for forgiveness and God responds through a prophet. Starting here in verse 12, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. God says there has to be a consequence, but you get to choose, David. 
You can choose a consequence that affects the whole nation or just you. Just you or everyone else. Now, right now, all of you are spiritually going, I'd take the blame. But none of us want to take the blame. It's always someone else's fault. It's always someone else's problem. But yet the Bible teaches us the only person that is a problem in my life and in my relationship with God is me. I'm responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for my decisions. It doesn't matter if someone cuts me off in traffic. It doesn't matter if someone spread false rumors about me. It doesn't matter if someone posts things on Facebook. All I can do is control me. I can make the decision to respond to my situation with the Lord. And listen to what David says when God makes this. You say, well, that's not fair. Why does this have to happen? In Leviticus chapter 23, you can read that when a nation abandons God or brings wickedness, there are punishments. One is famine, death, or enemies. And so God is just being faithful to His Word. David would have known this, but yet made this decision anyway. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. David says, I don't trust my enemies. He says, I don't want them to be making decisions for me. I trust that God is merciful. You say, well, this doesn't make any sense. He's getting ready to bring judgment and correction. But yet David said he's merciful. David recognized this, that God cares about us. And when God brings things into our life, even when they correct us, even when they change our focus. Why is it that so many people do not seek God until they hit rock bottom? Why is it that it takes sometimes death and loss to bring us back to the Lord? Why does it take financial ruin or betrayal? Because we won't listen. We don't want the things of God, and so God loves you too much to let you go to hell unwarned to let you struggle as a believer without Him pursuing you and I. And so it goes on here and says, verse 15, So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angels... when the when, when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and my father's house. David was able to witness something miraculous. He was able to watch the angel of the Lord that was bringing this plague. But don't miss how merciful God is. God looks down on His people right before judgment falls on Jerusalem, the capital city, the largest city, where the most loss of life will happen. And God says, you know what? No, don't do it. I know that's what we were going to do, but don't. That word for relent means to change direction. It means repent, not in the sinful sense. And God says, no, I want to show mercy. And David witnesses this. And listen to what David asks in the very end there. Let this be against me and not the people. 
you do realize that five verses before that, God said, do you want the punishment or them? And David says, them. But after David watched it, David said, no, this was me. Friends, that's the heart of a true believer. That you and I recognize that Jesus died for my sins. That Jesus wants to forgive me. That God is willing to show mercy. That I don't need to look for excuses or put blame anywhere else. I can come to the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I have nothing good to offer. But God, I need mercy. I need grace. I need forgiveness. And the Bible says that He will give it. He will extend it. Romans, the second chapter, describes it like this in verses 1 through 6. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? He says, if you're going to judge others and live the same way, judgment is coming. But look what it says in verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God wants you to repent because He loves you. And He has been good to you. And He has blessed you. And He has offered you forgiveness. He went to the cross for you. He took the punishment of God for you. He died for you. He arose for you. He is willing to extend mercy and grace to you. But He also loves you so much that if that won't get your attention, He will use whatever else it takes. Don't miss that. The Bible says sometimes that's sickness in 1 Corinthians 11. Sometimes God will use death. God understands what an eternity away from Him will mean and pursues you in spite of that. God knows what it is like for you and I to abandon Him, to run from Him. You can see it in the Old Testament when the people of God left the Lord. And God loves you enough to warn you and warn you Listen to what it says in verse 5 of that same chapter in Romans 2. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each according to his deeds. You say, well, that's kind of scary when you think the Bible says we have to give account for every idle word. Every thought, every action. It is unless you know 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, that's what it takes. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, whatever you're hiding, whatever you're struggling with, whatever is consuming you, if you will just bring it to Jesus, and if you will ask for forgiveness, He will forgive not some of it, but all of it. He will completely wipe it away. And the third and final thing. We've looked that God will reveal what's in our heart. God wants us to reveal it so that we can make it right. But third and finally, all that is because God wants us to worship Him. 
with a clean heart. You see, God wants a relationship with you. God wants you to come together and worship Him. God wants a personal relationship with you. That's why the Bible says that He first loved us. That He died for us while we were ungodly. You can never love God more than He loves you. He is the standard bearer. God is love. And so when we come to verse 18, we see the results of all of this. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aronai the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up to the Lord, commanded. Now Aronai looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Aronai went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Then Aronai said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Aronai said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing implements, and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these things, O king, Aronai has given to the king. And Aronai said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to Aronai, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the auction for fixed shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. You see, David recognized something that in order to worship God, a price has to be paid. And in this case, it was for some land. If you want to know where this land is today, you can go to Israel, to the city of Jerusalem. And this piece of property is a part of the property where the Dome of the Rock sits. It is where the Mount, Temple Mount is. It is where the temple would eventually be built. You see, God had to rock David's world so that David would be put in a place to seek the Lord so that Solomon could build the temple. Solomon, we see next, is going to build this temple to worship God and to honor God. But I want you to see this, that David recognizes something that the Lord did for us. You see, the forgiveness of sin costs something. It cost Jesus Christ His life. It, it cost Him coming and taking your sin and mine. It took Him hanging upon a cross where the Father poured out the wrath and judgment for all sin. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, talks about offerings and sacrifices and obedience. And says, so Samuel said, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the verse of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. You see, David was coming to worship the Lord, but he wasn't worshiping the Lord with the right heart until God revealed what was there. He didn't come to buy the temple property when his heart was wrong. It was after God made things right. And friends, you and I cannot be of service to the Lord to really be who God wants us to be, 
to really experience the blessing God wants us to experience until we're willing to let Him have all of us. That is the parts of our heart and life that no one else sees, that no one else knows. But Jesus came to pay that price, to be that perfect sacrifice, that no matter what your background is, no matter what your testimony is, no matter what your failures seem to be, whether you think you don't need it, that He became the way. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and I will conclude, says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. He says all the Old Testament, all the sacrifices in early, uh, the early church that Israel was still participating in, none of them can wash away your sins permanently. Nothing can cover your sins forever. But, in verse 11, but this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstools. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. This teaching is the one reason that you should always be cautious if someone says it takes Jesus and anything else to go to heaven. If it's baptism, if it's the Lord's Supper, if it's confession, whatever else someone says, you have to have Jesus and this. Friends, you need to run. Because Hebrews says all that stuff's not enough. It's the fact that Jesus loved you so much that He was born of a virgin, that He lived a sinless, perfect life and willingly allowed Himself to be captured and arrested. He willingly allowed them to spit on Him, to pull out His beard, to beat Him. He willingly allowed Himself to be led to the cross. He willingly allowed Himself to hang between heaven and earth. And He willingly allowed the Father to pour out the judgment for your sin and for mine. He willingly gave up the ghost and died. And He rose from the dead. That one sacrifice took care of your sin and mine. That one sacrifice is why He alone is worthy to be worshipped and praised. That is why He is the only one who needs to be lifted up and glorified. Jesus, the name above every other name. The name that every knee will bow to at some point. Jesus is the answer. And friends, whatever baggage you come with, whatever storms you're going through, whatever hurts you're carrying, whatever sin you're hiding, know this, that God will keep pursuing you. Keep allowing the boat to be rocked. Keep allowing the valleys until you make it right with Him because He loves you. You say, well, I don't understand that. This is what I want you to hear. When God saved you, something miraculous happened. The very Spirit of God came to live within you. You became the temple of God. He convicts you, He leads you, He guides you, He seals you. And friends, just like a loving parent warns their kids, don't touch the stove, it's hot. 
Don't play in the street. You'll get hit. Don't jump off the top of the stairs. And just like when kids do not listen, we have to correct them. The Bible tells us, spare the rod, hate the child. You don't like the verse? Take it up with the Lord when you get there. Sometimes God corrects us because He knows what is in our life and the damage it's going to do. It might seem like a harmless movie, but it's changing your thought process. It might seem like a harmless conversation at work, but you don't know the heart of that other person. It might seem like just a weak moment, but you don't know the damage it might do to your children. You know this if you have kids and your kids do something that is wrong. And in my house, I always say, that reminds me of your mother, right? No matter what it is they do. But my kids are now old enough to go, no, Dad, we learned that from you. And in that moment, I spank them twice. No, I'm, that's a joke. That is just a joke. But in those moments, I realize, oh, Jake, the influence I have. And friends, what you need to know is if you are a child of God, God will never let you go. God is never going to let you run for ruin without warning. That's why if someone tells you they are a Christian, a child of God, and their sin does not bother them, that they don't worry about what sin is, friends, one of two things is true. They either are not a Christian or they have ran so far from God, God's getting ready to rock the boat, getting ready to get their attention. And you probably don't want any part of that. Because when God loves you the way He loves you, He's not going to let you go. Just like you wouldn't let your kid run headlong into destruction, that is how the Spirit of God is with the child of God. That's why God allowed David to go through this. Because God saw David and the nation going the wrong way and said, if you won't repent, if you won't turn on your own, I'll bring whatever it takes. And friends, that seems harsh when you're the one in the middle of it. You can say amen, that's all right, it's true. But friends, when you realize it is just done because God loves you and cares about you and knows the danger and heartache that sin causes, it should cause you to love Him more. And so I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what it is you're trying to hold on to but know that God loves you too much to stop pursuing you. If you're here today and you're saying, Jake, I'm not a Christian. I don't understand what this is. I don't, under, I don't understand this. Just know this. There is no other way to be saved than to calling on the name of the Lord by allowing Him to save you from your sins. There's nothing else. This church cannot save you. This pastor cannot save you. The, the, the baptismal waters cannot save you. You must have a relationship with Him. You say, Jake, I've been through some tough stuff in my life. I don't know if I believe that God is a loving and merciful God. The only thing that would make God not a loving and merciful God is if He didn't do whatever it took to get your attention. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. The Bible says that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. The appearance of salvation and the knowledge of it has appeared to all men. And so today you need to know whatever you've been through, whatever God has allowed you to go to bring you to this point, no, it is not because He is mean and vindictive, but it is because He loves you with a love that you and I cannot understand, that we can't even comprehend, but yet He wants to save you.
He wants to change you and to make you brand new. If you would stand with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, you know I haven't done it justice. I've stuttered and stammered and got confused. But God, I know that you're the only one that can change hearts. God, you're the only one who can bring conviction. Lord, your word says that the Spirit has come into the world to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so today, Lord, I'm trusting in your word and in your power that you would change hearts here today. Father, humble the proudest of us. And Lord, bring up the most broken of us. Father, whatever needs to take place in this place today, God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the humility to go where you send us, to do what you tell us to. Father, we thank you so much for the baptism in the first service. We thank you for the children singing. But God, your word makes it clear that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner is saved. And so, Lord, we pray for that individual today that they would fall under conviction, that they would respond and trust you. Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.